right, so today I am so delighted to have this amazing sister on Pivotal Moment. Greetings, my name is Nikita Faustin, host of Pivotal Moment. Be sure to download today's episode on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or Podbean. Today, you are going to be in for a treat. I have criminal defense attorney Latanya Burton on the show. She's an amazing, amazing sister, incredible lawyer. She practices law and is a founding partner with the Birdman Law Group, along with partner Renee Amen. She is so passionate about the people that she represents and defending their rights. She's not only bold, but she is unapologetic about standing up and speaking out about what's right. She's a criminal defense attorney, as I said, focusing on civil rights with a special emphasis on father's rights. She joins us today to talk about her pivotal moment and the road to defending those who need it most. Welcome, Tanya. Thank you so much, Nikita. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on the show. I am so glad you're with us. Um, I met this amazing sister not long ago at the Chicago event, and I talked to her a little bit about her story, her road to law, how she was helping her clients. And I was like, you have to come on the show. So I want to ask you first, Tanya, what is it that got you interested in the law? Well, I was seven, and I was playing uh, outside at my great-grandmother's house. I grew up on the south side of Chicago, and it was just us kids. We were playing around, and I believe it was the mailman. He came up, and he was playing with the kids and talking to us, and I remember him patting me on my head, and he said, little girl, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I looked up, and I heard it so clearly, and I know that it was God, so you're going to be a lawyer. And I said to him, a lawyer. And he looked at me as if I was crazy. And all my little friends and my cousins, they heard me say it. And I just went on playing. And God just every step of my life gave me a pathway towards the law. And I love what you said. Uh, we, uh, we were talking before the show, Tanya and I, about her inspiration and, and what you said was if, if God isn't in it, then you don't want to hear it. What did you say? Exactly? Oh yeah. I, I said, if you don't want to hear about God, you don't want to hear about me because he's integral in my story. He, it truly was his hand because, you know, we didn't have lawyers or professionals in my family that I can look up to, to know this about. I was raised by a single mom. My father lived in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And um, I was in Chicago with my mom and my great aunts and my other family members, and we were just hardworking people, but no one was a lawyer or a doctor in my family that I could look up to. So to be honest, I didn't know what a lawyer was. That's how I know it was God, because I had never even heard the word lawyer when I was seven. So so you, you got this this word from the Lord and you got mm-hmm. the spirit in your, you got this truth in your spirit about what was going to happen. How did that get you to criminal law as an area of focus? Okay. So I went to high school. I ended up on the debate team. Nothing ah. I was looking to, <laughs> but my, uh, she was my social studies teacher, Mrs. Wayne. Um, she said, Latanya, you're very passionate. You argue well. I would like you to try to get on this mock trial team. Okay. So the mock trial team, the American Bar Association hosted every year 
uh, mock trial where they give you a fact pattern and a couple of students. You have lawyers, witnesses, both defense and prosecution, and we try this case. And what she did was she had some lawyers from the city of Chicago. They're called Assistant Corporation Counsel, and they came in and they trained us after school, and we went on and did the mock trial. It ended up winning second in the state. And I remember Mayor Daly uh, had us come and do a big press conference. I still have the picture with him, uh, me and my team, for winning that. So, like I told you, it was God's hand because I didn't go out for this. This teacher just saw something in me and said I should do it. That's amazing. So, so would you consider that your pivotal moment in terms of getting you where you were? Or was there another moment that kind of got you from where you were to where you wanted to be? I believe that it was another moment. If You know, there were so many pivotal moments, but if you ask me about criminal law specifically, I would say I was, in criminal defense to be more exact, after I finished uh, law school, I used to be on a train because I got married while I was in law school, and you would take the train from Zion to Chicago from where I went to school, and I had this group of women. I They were like a tribe to me, and I would study my law books and my homework, and they would pray over me, literally pray over me on the train uh, for me to, you know, interpret and understand the materials that I was learning, and that God increased my capacity, because not only was I married, I had a stepson, and then we immediately got pregnant. Uh, my baby was premature. So I had a lot of life things happening as well as law school. So they would just lay hands on me and they would constantly speak uh, encouraging words to me. But uh, one of the ladies, when I graduated from law school, which, you know, that's the big thing, you got to find a job. Absolutely. She said, I want you to meet a lady. Her name was Rita Fry. She was the actual public defender in Cook County. She said she could help you. I said, well, the problem is there's a residency requirement. And because I lived in Lake County, I couldn't work for Cook County. But in speaking with Rita, she was able to get Michael Waller, the former state's attorney of Lake County, to give me an interview. So I went and had this interview with him, and I believe it went well, and he sent me downstairs to speak with his supervisors. He thought I would be great, but as they were talking to me, and they give you like this test, and they ask questions like, do you believe in rehabilitation? And I said, absolutely. Do you believe in the death penalty? No, I do not. And all the questions I answered, unbeknownst to me, were more defense-oriented as opposed to prosecutor. And I was just looking for a job. I didn't care where I worked. But, but I definitely was not meant to be a prosecutor. And they called the Lake County public defender and said, I think there's a very good candidate that you may want to meet. So I went and met with David Brosky. He was a Lake County public defender then. And we had an interview, but I didn't get the job right away. What? So my, no, I did not. He, um, hired two other people and I started working little jobs and my pivotal moment is coming and I was working as a contract attorney so basically we're in this big room with computers and you go through emails to see if it's discoverable or not in another case and it's a random job it is so not what I wanted to do but it helped make ends meet yes and I sat there Nikita and I wrote a note to God and I said and this I remember it well I have the note 
Hurricane Katrina had just occurred, and I wrote and I said, God, I know that my focus should be on the victims of Hurricane Katrina, and I don't want you to think that I'm being selfish. Please, as I write this prayer, help them as well. But God, I'm ready to start my career. I know it's not meant. You brought me all this way. Certainly, it's not to sit at a computer and mark something discoverable or not. Please reveal to me what your will is for me. Nikita, I promise you, when I put the pen down, my cell phone rang. It was David Brodsky, and he said, LaTanya, you may not remember me. This is David Brodsky. And I was like, oh, yeah. He said, you interviewed maybe a year ago, and I don't know why we didn't hire you then, but we have another position open. I can hire you right now over the phone. Will you take the position? And that's exactly how it went, exactly how it went. And I became a public defender. You put the pen, you wrote the letter to God, you put yes. the pen down and the phone rang. Yes. And the phone, my cell phone oh. rang. I still have the letter that I wrote to God That's in my Bible. Amazing. That is a yes. testimony and a pivotal moment. He offered you the job yes. and you accepted on the spot on that call? On the spot. Because I had already interviewed with him. Remember, yeah. Yeah. a year ago, I met with him. I'm with the other uh, supervisors of the different divisions. So they knew me. They had all my information. He offered me the job on the phone, on the spot. And you became a public defender. Yes. So I became a public defender, and that was funny, too, because going back to the first interview, I remember walking in the um, the room, and there was a man outside, and he said, ooh, sugar baby, you're going to be my lawyer. And I said, no, I'm not. I am not doing this. I want – I said, no, I'm not. No, mm-mm. I said, no, 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 you got the wrong one. I am not going to be your attorney. And I had to go to the jail. My husband used to do uh, what's called prison ministry, but it was jail ministry, really. And one day I went into jail. And this is way before I became a public defender. And the door slammed. I'm like, oh, no, this isn't for me. I won't be here again. And little down the road, that's where I spent most of my life in the jail talking to clients. Unbelievable. So let me ask you this, because you mentioned when you interviewed a week or a year prior to them Mm -hmm. offer that prosecution wasn't for you. What was it about the prosecution side that made you say no? Well, it wasn't that I said no. Number one, they said no. (laughs) When I did that test, most prosecutors, um, they, they believe in the death penalty. I definitely do not because I'm more of a rehabilitation person. Yeah. Um, they they tend to focus a little bit more on punishment, and I don't want to give a wrong view of them, but this is just how it is. They focus more on punishment. I am one to believe in restoration, and I understand that people have to be punished for their crimes, but does it make sense not to restore them? Because if you don't, they're going back to do the same thing. So every question I answered was really, in a political sense, anti-prosecutor and more defense. I just didn't know it. Yeah. Because I didn't know. I thought I would be a lawyer who fought for doctors and hospitals because I love the health care. Okay. I thought that's what I would do. But God guided me to my true path, which was criminal defense. So now you are a criminal defense attorney. What is it? When a client or a case comes to you that lets you know whether or not you can help that person or that family, is there a checklist or how do you go about evaluating the case before you take it on? Well, um, coming from my background as a public defender, you don't get the opportunity to say no or yes. What happens is a person comes in court if they have a case that's punishable by jail, but they cannot afford an attorney, the state 
supplies or the county supplies one for you. That's the public defender system. So I didn't have, I had to take every case that they gave me. It wasn't a checklist. I want you. I don't want you. So coming from that background, and then I worked for another private attorney before I opened, Renee and I opened our own business. Mm-hmm. Um, whoever came in the door if they could hire a private attorney, we took the case. Okay. I've never okay. turned a client down. Oh, and, of course, there are some cases that, you know, you look awesome. at like, Lord, have mercy, this is a difficult case. And I've yeah. had very difficult cases. But for some reason, I'm always able to see past what the crime is or alleged to be and see the person. For example, I represented this woman who uh, she killed a five-year-old little boy. And this is when I was a public defender and I was in bond court. And at that time, I was not a felony assistant. I was in a misdemeanor. So you don't handle the more serious crimes. Mm -hmm. But when she came in, the way bond court is set up, you have the judge, you have the uh, court reporter who transcribes everything. You have the judge's clerk. You have the prosecutor. You have the deputies that keep order. You have another clerk. You have the crowd in the gallery. And this woman came in, and everyone had already knew what the case was about. And when I tell you... It kind of put me in the mind of when Jesus was walking and the crowd was throwing all those things and knocking them in his face and hitting them. That's the look that everyone gave this woman. And I remember looking at her and her head was down and she had tears in her eyes. And I went up to her and I said, put your head up. I said, I'm here with you. They're looking at me. They're not looking at you. I said, once I stand next to you, I get all the heat. So don't worry about it. And after learning how she got to the place where she was, she trusted me, mm-hmm. and my supervisor said, I'm going to let you do this murder case. You're going to do it with another felony assistant. So that was the first felony that I had was a murder. And, um, you know, she began to trust me, and once I knew her background, I'm like, my goodness, any of us could have been in that situation. Any of us. But for the grace One of God. moment, but for the grace of God. And that's what made my heart open to, I don't see people as bad people. I see people who may have done something wrong. But I tell every client, you are not a bad person. What you did maybe characterizes wrong, bad, evil, whatever. But you yourself are not the act that you did. Good people make bad choices all the time, right? Every day, but every day doesn't have an advocate to stand up for them as you are for them. And so one of the reasons why I asked about, you know, you have to take the cases as a public defender, but now you're in private practice, you are able to kind of have people come to you. But the fact that you don't mm-hmm. turn anyone away, I think is a real testament to the spirit of why you do what you do. And I wanted to ask about father's rights in particular, because yeah. I read that that's a part of what you feel very strongly about and practice um, within. How did that come about? So when Renee, my partner, Mm -hmm. the way we met was she, her husband uh, was one of the deputies in the jail. And when I would have clients come up from the jail to have their cases heard, he looked at me, he said, "Um, Miss Burton, my wife wants to be a lawyer. Can you help her? I said, absolutely. What's her name? What's her number? Where is she? I'm on my way. Because I'm serious, serious about mentorship. 
I don't believe that I would leave a legacy on this earth if I didn't train someone to be better than I am. If the next person that I say go to law school and I'm training, if that person isn't better than me, I failed. So for me, I try to reach out anyone, especially women that want to go into this career or come into this career, I make myself completely available. So when he said that, um, we she called me when she was getting ready to go to school and she was in a program where she had to leave her house and her children and her husband go to school for four days and then come back home or right and come back home and she didn't want to do it she didn't want to leave her little ones home she was married and when we talked I said yes you will you can because what you're doing is for them um and you can do it and you're meant to do it and you will do it so all along she would call me every now and then when she was in school just for pep talks or whatever I could do. And when she graduated, she started working for the person we ended up working for together, Jet Stone. And I guess he needed a lawyer at some point, so she came in the parking lot. And I always tease her and say it was like a hand-to-hand transaction because she snuck up in the parking lot while my car, while I was parking my car and said, Jet needs you. And I said, oh, he needs a case. She said, no, you. I said, oh, he wants to talk about a case argument. She said, no, you. I said, excuse me? So I went in, interviewed, got the job. We started working wow. together. And once she graduated from law school, we found that we were working horribly so, very tirelessly mm-hmm. uh, for our other, uh, for our previous um, employer. Mm-hmm. And we said, we can, if we're going to work this hard, we yes. need to do it for ourselves. Yep. And we need to do it so that we have direction and that we have the final say on what we want to do and all of that. So when we opened the farm, Renee had only been practicing a few months, but she naturally, she's a natural, phenomenal business person. Uh, She just has, it just comes natural to her, Mm -hmm. but she wants, she started doing family law because that's what was coming in immediately. And both of us married husbands that had children before we were married. So my oldest son uh, is a blessing to me through another woman. Uh, I helped raise him. Well, I raised him, me and my husband raised him in our household. And the same thing for Renee. And we know how amazing fathers our husbands are, but our judicial system look at men as if they're second-rate citizens. Like, it's impossible that they can nurture and raise a child. And both Renee and I know from personal experience, that's totally not true. My husband raised our oldest son by himself for a few years. Mm-hmm. So I just brought fact that couldn't be true. So we wanted to shine a light on the problem in our judicial system as far as not allowing fathers to be fathers, mm-hmm. not allowing them an equal say as mothers, and not letting their voices be heard. So we decided that we wanted to take up fathers' rights, and our main focus, we won't turn a mom down, but our focus is more on dads when it comes to family law. I love that. And that's position. how we started. You, you really need that because that is not an area where you feel like there is um, ample representation and fathers oh are goodness. sometimes seen they they're perceived as subordinate to moms or yes. to family in general so I, I love that you're yes. doing that 
Um, and it comes from the judicial system. Sure. It comes from the judicial system. And real quick, I had a case. I can't mention names or anything sure, because sure. of attorney-client privilege. But we have one case, Nikita, where we had to do an emergency motion because the mom would not let her son go with the dad on his visitation time. Wow. And the little boy was about five. So we run the court and we said, Judge, you need to enforce this order or we want to find her in contempt. And the judge looked at us and he said, do you think I'm going to tear a child from his mother? And I said, you absolutely will because an order from another judge said you have to. Mm. So I don't know what this tearing from a mother is, but I find it interesting that you are okay with tearing him away from his father. Oh, I love so that. So that's how that's, and we have to change that mindset. What was the we judge's have response to, that, to that, that very profound comment? He said, um, that's not what I'm doing. I mean, they always defend themselves. That's sure. not what I'm doing. And I said, but you have an order. Well, you know what? Take this up with the original judge on a different day. I said, but he's losing his parenting time now. Okay. And you're comfortable with him losing. We He's supposed to be with his father right now. And that's why this is an emergency motion, mm -hmm. because she won't turn him over. And he just dismissed it and said we had to go to the regular judge. So we had to wait two more days wow. to get in front of the judge. And, of course, he made him turn over her turn over the little boy to his dad yeah well well it's so wonderful that some fathers are so vigilant about advocating for their rights and seeking representation yeah. to extend that so thank goodness that you're there to do that and i want to circle back to what you mentioned about advocacy because i think it's impressive mm -hmm. and and commendable that you're helping fathers and also when you mentioned the murder case uh the woman yeah. who murdered the five-year-old kid mm -hmm. and you said people are looking at you not her yeah so that she could feel some sense of ease or or more yes so mm -hmm. do you find you ever get any kind of flack or or oh yeah about representing the kinds of clients that come to you and how do you oh yeah how do you absolutely um and Nikita, I don't mean to sound like a religious zealot or anything like that. It's just I have to tell my truth. Yeah. I go back to what Jesus did when he would when he sat on that cross. Remember, it was a thief on one side yes. and the other guy, and everybody was he's a sinner. And he said, you know, he he prayed for him, blessed them, and he said they know not what they do. Yeah. Uh, on one time when they were trying to rebuke him, he carried all of ours. Amen. So what I'm doing is really nothing. Really, yeah, when you compare it, to the, to other exactly. Things. Yeah, when I, what I'm doing is nothing compared to what he did for me. Um, so, Amen. and everybody looks at me bad. I'm talking about not just the people outside, the court. Like if my client is on bond and he didn't do or she didn't do something she was supposed to, they literally yell at me. And wow. it's probably because in criminal defense, you're not supposed to talk to the client. You have to talk to the lawyer um, unless right. you're asking a question, and then I give my client permission to respond. But um, they yell at me as if I did it. And I've learned over the years the way that I console myself or um, keep my spirit up. I say, God, Jesus did it for me. Surely I can take this. This is nothing compared to what he did. I just say a little something inside of me. What I'm doing is not even a fraction of what he carried for me. And it keeps me going. I love the resolve, Latanya. Is that something that you've built over time or are you just wired that way? I don't know, to be <laughs> honest. I, I don't, it's not something I purposefully done. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I've had moments 
uh, where I've cried because of things that happened to my clients or a case that I thought I should have won, but a judge, if I, because mostly most of my trials I only take to juries, but there are some hearings that I can only take before a judge and the judge just did something wrong or he, he did a wrong ruling and it crushes, crushes me because I know when my client, um, deserves something better, um, I, I take it on as I did something wrong or I didn't fight hard enough or was there an argument that I did not use or, you know, because they pay that price and they mm-hmm. trust me and they trust Renee. And, you know, we we do our our best to try to get the best and the most suitable resolution for our clients. And when we fall short of that, and it doesn't happen often, praise God, but when it, we do, it hurts. Believe me, Nikita, I know every loss that I've ever had. The wins, not so much. I will forget a win. But the loss, I know it every detail of the case that I've lost. So so when you talk about cases and those that are challenging, are there types of cases that are particularly um, difficult that take the most out of you or take the most to come to a resolution? Or are there certain types of clients that are most challenging? Like what's the hard part? about what you do besides what you do, <laughs> because it is hard. Right. But it's also very rewarding on the other end, you know, especially when you it is. To create a solution, but what's the most yeah. challenging part of what you do? Sometimes often what most people don't really understand is we have many people walking among us that have mental health issues. Okay. Um, and some of them are able to manage it. Uh, where it does not appear that they have mental health issues until they're in crisis. And some are, you, you, you can see it easily that they are suffering. And trying to get someone with a mental health uh, issue to understand why this is happening to them in the law as far as different issues can be difficult. I tell the judges and prosecutors all the time, they did not ask for this mental illness. They didn't wake up one morning and say, I want to be schizophrenic. No one does that. So the way that we are punishing them and trying to resolve their cases, um, it appears that you would think or surmise that these people think they did ask for it. Our, Our current system, we don't have enough resources uh, for people with mental health issues, we don't have enough staffing. Um, we just don't have enough infrastructures uh, to help them overcome this battle that they're going through. So it leaves us in the justice system when they commit a crime to try to resolve something without the right tools in the toolbox. It's like uh, fixing the sink and you don't have the wrench, but you got to fix the sink. It's gotta um, and that's hard. Uh, a lot of my alcoholics um, that do DUIs and things of that nature that have great jobs, but they got this one DUI and it could possibly end their jobs. They can't understand it. They, they just, it, and it, it's not the DUIs that you think. They call it the crash and all of that. They may have had two beers, drove, happened to speed. That's the reason for the stop. They do the breathalyzer, which we always tell our clients, do not do. Don't give more evidence to the state against yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and they test it. They get a DUI, and they could have been a driver for a bus or whatever, and now they just lost their license. They lose their livelihood all over two beers. Not that they were driving wrong because they had the two beers, mm-hmm. not because it caused them not to, you know, hurt someone yeah. else. They had two beers. 
but they happened to speed or not having a seat belt, which caused the encounter with the police. He smelled the beer. You do the breathalyzer. You're done. You're done. So, and that's difficult. That that does seem hard because it seems like there is one infraction and then it leads to so many more. And yes. the effect of that can just change your life. You know, because yes, you, you have X, Y, and Z attached to your name and every job application yes. and things like that. And, and, yes. and I want to talk about a, a bigger picture item, too, because the criminal justice system you know, often responds to black and brown defendants differently. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. how does that truth impact how you do what you do? Well, one thing I, 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 I am very bold about when I see uh, differences on how people are treated. Particularly, I've had clients, uh, I can give you fact patterns, but like mm-hmm. I said, I can't tell you real cases and things like that. Sure. So, I have a fat pattern of, let's say, a Caucasian woman, and she may have been a um, one of those health aides for an older person, and she has an African-American, or let's say a Puerto Rican boyfriend, okay. and she tells the Puerto Rican boyfriend, oh, I got these credit cards, uh, go buy some beer and drinks. He takes the credit cards, he go buys the beer and drinks. And lo and behold, the family finds out that those credit cards were the person she was taking care of, his credit card. Yes. So the police are called. They get her and a Puerto Rican guy, and they arrest them both. The state's attorney drops the case against the white girlfriend who took the credit cards and gave them to the Puerto Rican boyfriend. But they go hard after the Puerto Rican boyfriend. Wow. Wow. So, and in one of my cases, I had, he was calling me outraged that they were doing it. She even saw the injustice. Wow. Now, obviously, she doesn't want a case against herself or anything like sure, that. Sure. But she spoke up about the injustice that they were doing. And it was her. But they rather go after him than the person who actually stole the credit card and then they beat you down because we'll get ready to take the person to trial take them to trial because i we do not have a, we, we are trial attorneys but every time you go to court it's not a one month the case is over it's very long you have to get discovery you have to get the police report you may need to do investigations and every time there's a court date that person has come to court they're missing work mm-hmm. um they may not have a babysitter for their children uh, they may have appointments that they have to miss because they have to keep coming to court. So then they end up wanting to plead guilty because they just can't keep taking off to come to court. And that's, even cases that we can win. Yeah, and that sets up a whole additional layer of issue, right? Because logistically, yes. they can't do it. So you exactly. want the client to be exonerated at the end of the day, but they can't mm-hmm. even do the things that are in place for them. It's almost set up for you to fail. Yeah. I don't want to yes. say that, but yes. it sometimes seems that yes. way. If yes. you are in a certain Absolutely. income. Do you think it comes down yep. more to, to, to income in terms of getting representation or to color when it comes down to representation or how you're perceived by the justice system and what you get when you go through it? Well, what I can say it may be both mm-hmm. um here in lake county and i can only attest for lake county but i think i can say this broadly attorneys are good individually you can't say a group of attorneys are good or a group are bad okay. because it's really an individual thing it's one attorney that's representing you lake county has 
the best public defender system in the world. And I try to tell people that um, they do criminal defense all day long. That's all they do. So they're specialized in that area, and they really get a bad rap because you hear the the more far out stories that they have one million files in their desk and that's so not true but mm-hmm. all of this or you hear the other sad stories that maybe one public defender did so they put that curse on all of them but um the difference is even with a private attorney you can hire the private attorney but if you don't have the money to hire the experts that right. we may need mm-hmm. to fight your case because sometimes it comes down to which expert is more credible in front of the jury, especially if you have a DNA case or a case where allegedly my client had a gun or a mistaken identity case. Mm-hmm. And we may need to bring on an expert that talks about how people in stressful situations, they take a view and they just automatically say, this is the guy. Well, really, it could have been a person with blue hair, but because of the trauma, your brain doesn't see things correctly. So if I don't have an expert that could lay that out in front of the jury to understand the possibility of them making a false identification, it's difficult for me to go to case. Now, attorneys are expensive as well. We have doctors in the law. You know, we have all these bills, and, you know, it it came for very expensive for us to get these degrees, and you have to charge appropriately. So the fact that they can get money to hire your attorney is one thing. But then we need you to have money to hire the various experts or document prep or the other ancillary things that we need to appropriately defend you. And that can be difficult for some people where we have some clients that have much money and we're able to put that pressure on the state and get those yeah. experts and get those opinions. And sometimes they drop the cases or we are very successful in trial so, or pretrial motions. Yeah. So that's the income issue. But the other example I gave you had nothing to do with money. That was more of the race issue. And and speaking of race, as a woman of color, do you feel as though there are any particular issues that you face in terms of doing your job and doing it well because you are a woman Uh, of color? And if so, like, how do you deal with that? Not so much in front of judges. Judges have been very kind to Renee and I, wherever we go, very welcoming. One federal judge got off the bench and shook our hands, and I think he was awesome. so proud awesome. to see two black women that. there. Yeah, he did. Yes. Yeah, so the judges, it's not so much, it's the support staff. It's some of the deputies. One time we went in a courtroom, and I think it was Renee. We went in a courtroom, and the deputy said, that that seat is only for attorneys. And she said, okay, and she sat down, and we and remember we're dressed, wow. Renee and I are very professional. So, you know, we have on the whole attorney-looking sure. suit, all of that. Sure. And he said it again for her. And he wow. said, ma'am, I told you that seat is for the attorney. She said, oh, I heard you. But she wouldn't dignify it by saying, I am an attorney. She Correct. just kept working. And finally, he came up to her. And I think either another attorney said, she is an attorney. And he said, oh. And he was so surprised. He just wow. kind of sat back. So we called the judge, and the judge chewed him out, who happened to, who happened to be a woman herself. Okay. And she was very angry about it. But we have those type of instances. Yeah. Um, but pretty much we don't, we, don't, we don't see it as much. There have been some other friends of mine that are supervisors in different roles where they're arguing a position for mm-hmm. a case. And if there's a male supervisor 
one of the judges had a tendency to turn towards the male supervisor and ask more of the questions when she was the direct supervisor. So it was inappropriate that he's turning to this other person and she had to kind of draw the judge's attention back to her, you know, in a very respectful manner. And, you know, because we're fighting for our clients and we don't want the judge to be mad at us and take it out on our clients. But she had to remind them, no, I actually supervise that particular person. So you need to talk to me about it. Yeah. Come here, come to the source and yes. help direct you. Yeah. Is there a misconception at all, Latanya, about what it is that, what it takes to do what you do? Because it takes time. As you said, it takes a lot of schooling. You have to get, you know, oh, yeah. trained. You have to go through all these cases. You have to learn mm-hmm. the system, learn your clients and learn your strengths, really. Um, mm-hmm. Is there a misconception from the outside looking in about what criminal defense attorneys do, do you think? I think that, you know, lawyers, period, you know, they make yeah. all the jokes that yeah. we are, you know, snakes and how many lawyers it takes to do this and all of these right. other silly jokes. Well, really, we are your strongest advocate. And it comes a point in your life when you do need, particularly a criminal defense lawyer, yes. we are the closest thing, obviously, besides God to getting your story told mm. and getting you back your freedom and your liberty. So Wonderful I think um, people... Repeat that again. That was good. Repeat that. Well, see, that's the problem. I, and Renee tells me this all the time. <laughs> I'll say something and I don't remember what I said. I'm just blowing. That, that, I, I, I think what I said was, besides God, we are the closest... Um, to representing you and advocating for you to go back to freedom and get your liberty. And getting um, your story and, told, I remember. Getting yes, and getting told. your story Wonderful told. Said, I don't need your services, but if I ever did, I will call you first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. You're amazing. amazing. Was, was there ever a case that really changed you um, in ways that you didn't expect? I mean, I know you can't say names and, and you know, all right. of that, but was there ever a case that really moved or changed you in ways, even now? Uh, um, yes, it was one case. And, and I told you, I remember the losses way more than I remember the wins. And it was a case where a guy, he shot another guy. And the sad part was, besides the actual incident, but he did it. And a police officer happened to ride down the street and caught everything on the camera. Um, the problem was the guy that he shot was another drug dealer. So it's one of those kind of instances where every victim is a victim, don't get me wrong, but sometimes, you know, it's not like he didn't shoot a seven-year-old little girl that was trick-or-treating. Um, and not that that makes it better or worse, but I'm just saying. So we were negotiating a case. It definitely wasn't a case that we would uh, go to trial on because the evidence is overwhelming. Um, but he had a little bit of a rough upbringing and, uh, the gangs got a hold of him. They pretend like they're your family and then they put you on these missions to prove your loyalty to them. And that's what that really was. But, uh, we got to a point where the prosecutor said, well, I have two things. Either he can take, he could take a straight 10 years or he can open plead. That means you go to the judge you ask the judge after a sentencing hearing 
for a better deal. And I think it was the, he was facing what's called a class X, which is normally six to 30 years under the Department of Corrections. It's not probationable, but they cut it down to 15. So they said either you could do a straight plea and get 10, or you can make your case to the judge and the judge can give you anywhere from six to 15. And I told the client, I said, you don't have a background. Um, we know your story about the gangs and all of that. It wasn't like you're a bad student. You have a lot of potential. And I just thought 10 years was a lot for him. I mean, I knew he had to go to prison because he shot someone in open view on the police camera and all of that. But I thought 15 years was much. So we tried it in front of the judge. And he ended up getting 15 years from the judge. And the reason why I was so upset about it, one, I, I advised him. I thought it was better to go in front of the judge. But what I did not realize and what I did not take in consideration, this particular judge used to be a police officer, and he was once oh. shot. He was once shot. So I should have done deeper homework and mm-hmm. thought about who the judges was, the judge was that he appeared before. Yeah. Judges are people. They're they supposed are. to only look at the law, but like with anyone else, they have their own personal experience, sure. their own backgrounds sure. that play. And I never thought about, ooh, what it looks like to him to see a person shoot someone else when he's been shot himself. Yeah. That's not the person you want to roll a dice with. And I should have known better. So it's mm-hmm. things like that gotcha. that I uh, myself about. But there are so many uh, wows and uh, like mountaintop experiences that you oh, have yeah. to provide for your clients. Um, not yeah. to say that, you know, that experience isn't relevant, but I mean, the overall uh, good and uh, just yeah. amazing work that actually changes people's lives. And that is yeah. amazing. Is that the most rewarding part of, of what? Oh, my goodness. I just. When was this Wednesday? I was going to the jail to visit clients, and there were three women there that were visiting someone else, and I had represented them at some point in their lives, and every last one of them said to me, Miss Byrne, do you remember me? You (laughs) changed my life. I'm married now. I work now. I'm doing this. Another lady said, I remember when you were pregnant. My son is 12 now, so that was 12 years ago. How's the baby? You fought so hard for me. Look at me. Look how much, because she was on drugs. She said, look at what I'm doing. I'm off drugs. I'm not doing that. I'm in church. Another lady, all at the same time. One time I was driving down the street, and a man looked over. He was driving a moving truck. He said, and I remember names really well, and I remember your case. I may not remember a face because I've been doing it 15 years. Yeah. He said, you may not remember me, but you saved me. Look, I own this yeah. company. I'm a... So that just sends me over the moon. That I know then that I'm doing God's work, and I believe that he is pleased because he sends these testimonies to me yes. that pick me up, especially on a day where I may not feel like I'm doing the best. And he reminds me that I'm doing his work. You're giving people second chances. As you said before, you're allowing folks stories to be told. I mean, to have three people at one time talk about and testify to how you basically changed the trajectory of where they were. You said people are like owning businesses. They're married with kids all because you're involved. That's that is yeah. a testimony. So you are doing God's work, and uh, thank you for doing it so well. How are how do these oh, folks you. find you, Latanya? Are they referrals? How do they find out about you when they call um, you? I believe some of them 
uh, unfortunately, I do have some repeat clients, okay. some who were when I was a public defender and they found oh, okay. out that I went on my own, me and yeah. Renee, yeah. and they'll find me that way uh, through the jail. My clients who are in yeah. custody waiting on their trial, they'll tell other people, you need my lawyer, you need yeah. my lawyer. Um, people, most of it, it, it is warm referrals. We do some marketing. Yeah. Uh, we used to have a billboard, which we did the billboard not necessarily for marketing. Mm-hmm. In our community, we live in uh, the Waukegan, Gurney, Zion, North Chicago area in mm-hmm. Lake County up north. And you don't see many African-American professionals advertising often. And don't quote me, I could be wrong, but I think we were, well, we are, I think we're definitely the first African-American women law firm in Lake County with more than one lawyer Wow. I was the first African-American female public defender in Lake County. So when we put this billboard up, I believe we were the first African-Americans to do a billboard like that, lawyers or professionals. And the reason we wanted it, I wanted little girls and little boys and people who don't get to see people who look like us in professional environments, we wanted them to see, you can do this. Look, there's your face up there because our face is your face. And we actually got people saying that. That's great. We got people come. One lawyer said his daughter looked up and said, oh, my God. Look at those women lawyers. And he's a lawyer himself, her father. But she was just enamored with African-American female lawyers. I love it. So we we were proud for that reason. I think you should get that billboard picture on T-shirts and then give me one. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have the billboard picture, but I think we have... We do have T-shirts because okay. we did a summit for teenagers last weeks ago. Um, we wanted to talk about accountability uh-huh. uh, and explain to them that law how so many, we're seeing so many young people, and you can look up in the news about the Lake County Five. That's what really stirred this. But do you know, Nikita, you could be in a car as a teenager with your friend, and you all can decide, you know what, let's go steal some candy from this candy store. And you're like, okay. You don't know that the person you're with happens to have a gun. They go in the store, you steal the candy, your friend turns around and shoots the store owner. You had no clue they had the gun. But because you helped plan a forcible felony, the burglary, you're getting charged with murder too, both of you. And you didn't even know he had a gun. It wasn't your ideal to shoot the man. You were just going to steal some candy. And now you're looking at murder charges. So we wanted to let the public, particularly young people, know, hey, look, this is very serious. So what we did, we uh, rented out this room. We brought some food. We even, because we were so, our focus was to get young people in, we partnered with Foot Locker and Gurney. We got a $150 coupon or something like that. We bought some shoes and did a raffle so that they can win shoes because we needed a way to get them in. Mm-hmm. And they came and they listened and the person won the shoes. But what was important for us was for them and their parents to know this information because too many young people are going to jail and prison oh. over things they did not know could happen. So so about the Lake County Five, what was the outcome there? And is that a part of what, you know, you're talking about the Teen Summit and accountability, but, but yes. the Lake County Five case is what 
is the catalyst for some of the advocacy that you're doing for teens now? Uh, well, we've dealt with it before the Lake County Five came along. Oh, okay. So we've been dealing with these issues for a long time. It's just that the Lake County Five, uh, those children made national moves. So it yeah. was a pivotal moment yes. that we can get attention to this awful law that Illinois still has. Um, but we, and that case is still pending, but the mm-hmm. state's attorney um, put a lot of pressure on him. A lot of people were calling. He ended up dropping the murder charges off okay. of them, and they're now facing other charges that I believe is more appropriate for okay. what they did, okay. as opposed to we went to steal a car, the homeowner shoots our brother, and then you charge us with murder, and none of us even had a weapon. Mm-hmm. So that 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 you didn't have to char- you don't have to charge them with murder, charge them with mm-hmm. attempt cover the actual crime that they did so that's why we are advocating so strongly and we believe information is so important if we keep giving the public information and keep empowering them they can help make better decisions and wiser decisions we hope yeah because you don't know as you were mentioning you're in the car you're a teenager like oh okay we're gonna do this and then the repercussions of one act and maybe not even your act But the person exactly. beside you, their act. And then, so yes. I think it's so important what you're doing around the Teen Summit and accountability and just being a model, an example of how to change your life for the better. And like, there's still time. And, and so long as yeah. you have breath in your body, there's still time. And there's you. So thank goodness for you. So... <laughs> Yeah, Renee and I, we try. Yeah, you guys are, you guys are amazing. You're doing such a wonderful thing. Um, and you in particular, you mentioned that you, um, you have been married for like 19 years and like you're this great lawyer, you're this great mom. How oh, do hope. you do it? Like Shaka Khan, like I'm every woman. What do you do? Yoga, you're working on a weekend. What do you, how do you do this? Is my question. My last, you know. You know, Nikita, I told you, if you don't want to hear about God, you don't want to hear from me. You just don't want to hear from me. I tell people, if you're going to invite me on your show, be with me because you'll hear his name many, many times. Amen. Amen to that. First of all, he does empower. And I, I, like I said, I don't mean to sound religious. That's not the point. I, this is my truth. He empowers me when I don't think I can do it. It's something he does that lets me know I can. Um, I have a wonderful husband. He is so supportive. He believes in me and he, God gave me a dream about him. That's how we met. But, um, he supports everything I do. I have three sons, which is so cool. Um, because I'm the only lady in the house and oh, wow. they do things like when I'm on trial, they know, they make sure dinner's done, they make sure the house is clean, because I'm kind of crazy about that kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. they make sure the house is clean. When I come home, my husband may massage me and rub my head. They try to keep um, everyday things that I normally do away from me, so I can focus just on the trial. And like my husband, one time we were at trial, and sometimes um, the judge will keep the jury for long hours or we have to come back and work on a new strategy. And I was in the office, both Renee and I, at about, oh, it was maybe midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning. And my husband came down and he put two chairs together and he just went to sleep on the chairs because he wanted me and Renee to feel safe while we were in the office. You know, mm. one o'clock in the morning, two ladies by themselves, mm. you know, can be tricky. But um mm. he he does things like that. One of my sons came to one of the trials 
and listened to the closing argument and gave me his feedback. <laughs> I've had bar association meetings where we go to, and I don't want to go by myself, and they draw straws on which one has to go with me, but they always make sure I'm not alone, and that helps me do my job. Wow. I love it. That is such a blessing. And I can't let you just gloss over this God gave you a dream about your husband part. So we're in the season we're in the season of Sierra and Russell and Sierra making her list. So I gotta ask you about the dream. All the single ladies, what did you drink? Okay. How it happened? Let's hear it. All right. I was um I did a week fast. I knew there were some things in my life that I wanted to change. So what I decided to do, this was December of nineteen ninety nine, was go on a fast and every day I picked a friend that was dealing with a similar issue to fast with me because it was two or more and, you know, mm-hmm. you move heaven. So I fasted one day on a better relationship with my father. And I picked a friend who I knew she had a difficult time with that. We fasted on that. I think another day I fasted on I needed to start my career. So a friend fasted with me on that. And then one day I fasted on I wanted to have, and what was interesting, I said a family of my own. I wasn't even thinking I wanted a husband who already had a child that I never had a boyfriend that had a child. So that wasn't even in my purview. And I said, I want a family of my own. Well, I went to sleep one night and the dream was this large, dark figure with a little darker figure walking towards me. And I woke up and heard in the dream, this is your family. And I was like, Mm-hmm. And I looked around, I'm like, I've never dated anyone with kids. So I couldn't understand the dream at all. Fast forward April, Craig and I started dating that January because I knew his brother and his sister-in-law. Mm-hmm. They invited me over. And Craig and I started dating. Craig had a son. Now, I wasn't even thinking about the dream, but I had told his sister-in-law, who's a good friend of mine, about the dream when it happened. And we were it was in April, and we were sitting at his aunt's house, all of the family. She said, Tanya, she said, remember your dream about the dark man and the boy? I said, oh, my goodness, Craig and little Craig. And we were married that November 4th. Oh, my, less than a year after your dream? Less than a year after the dream. I dreamt it the last week of December. We were married by November 4th of 2000. And that's why this Monday makes 19 years. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank so you so awesome. much. So awesome. Let's talk. Thank I'm so you. Our talk. Is there anything that Thank I didn't too. mention that you think you'd like to share that would be relevant to our conversation? Anything at all? I just, I want people to know that please don't look at yourself as being a horrible person or someone that did something wrong because you're in a situation. I promise you. All of us have done something that we are not proud of, but it does not mean that your life gets to be thrown away. You're still whole. Don't let an incident define who you are. Amen. And that is a wonderful place to end. I am glad that God has defined who you are and that you are doing the things that you're doing. It's such a great, great time to talk with you, honestly. Um, I enjoyed it. Yes, it's really good. And I hope that people listening will heed the words that you have shared and not be defined by one moment um, or one accident or one bad choice. Otherwise we'd all be gone, you know? So, yes, so thank absolutely. you for doing what you're doing and, and making an example for young girls who want to be attorneys for young boys yes. who want to be attorneys for folks who look like yes. us to see you doing what you do is a testimony. So thank you, Latanya. Enjoy thank your you. anniversary. 
Um, Thank you. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. And please come back and talk to us again about all the things that are happening, okay? It was my pleasure. And thank you for doing what you're doing. Community knowledge is so important. And if we didn't have a vessel uh, dispensing the knowledge to all of us, we would fail. The Bible says you are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. So you are also doing God's work. Thank you so much for that. Amen. I'm about to cry, so I'm going to hang up now. <laughs> okay. You have a wonderful day, okay? Time. You have a great weekend. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. That is one incredible and powerful sister. She is a force. Now, like I said, I don't want to need a criminal defense attorney, but if I did, (laughs) if I did, if some stuff went down, Latanya Burden would be the first person I would call, no doubt. She represents her clients. She believes in them above and beyond whatever they've been charged with, and she stands beside them fearlessly. Shout out to Latanya Burton and the women of Birdman Law Group. These sisters, I applaud them for what they are doing every day to change lives. Now, if you have not, and I don't know why you haven't, but if you have not listened to our season two opening episode, please do so. We talk with Maudlin Ezrika, award-winning author, journalist, sometimes columnist, She is a bad sister. And also listen to our episode with Felicia Mary, filmmaker, Netflix writer. Her new show on BET Plus is called Bigger and it is blowing up in Hollywood. You do not want to miss these talks with these women who rock in our Women Who Rock series. Thank you everyone for making our first season such a success. We are on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, and Podbean. I got to tell you, it's good to be back. I missed y'all. Let's do this, y'all. It's about to go down. I had to say that. I'm your host, Nikita Faustin. We will talk to you next time.